Welcome to the Learning Scientist Podcast, a podcast for teachers, students, and parents about evidence-based practice and learning. The Learning Scientist Podcast is funded by the Wellcome Trust. Hi, I'm Dr. Yana Weinstein, a professor at UMass Lowell. And I'm Dr. Megan Samaraki, a professor at Rhode Island College, and together we co-founded The Learning Scientists. We apply cognitive psychology to education for teachers, students, and parents. But today's podcast is specifically for parents. So you might be a parent who is interested in cognitive psychology and interested in the learning strategies that we talk about on our website and our blog, and you might want to try to apply these to your, your kids' learning at home. Or alternatively, you might be a parent whose child is at a school that is implementing some of these strategies, perhaps in the homeworks or in the classroom, and your children will be bringing home some work that utilizes these strategies. And so regardless of whether you're from these two perspectives, I think you'll find our podcast interesting and we'll talk about it from both of those perspectives. And in this podcast, we're going to be talking about spaced practice and retrieval practice because these are the two that are most widely applicable to children of many different ages and a lot of different subjects. They also happen to have, at least from our perspective, the most evidence from psychology suggesting that they're effective, relatively so compared to some of the other strategies that we know are also effective. And then finally, we actually think that they're the most applicable in terms of parents trying to encourage their children to utilize them at home, even if this isn't something that's going on already in um, your child's school. So briefly, spaced practice is this idea of spacing out learning over time. So spacing can be either through different homeworks where you're revisiting older material or even just spacing studying opportunities at home over time. And retrieval practice is all about bringing information to mind. So if your child is taking any sort of practice tests or quizzes or just trying to write or sketch everything they know from their own memory, that's retrieval practice. We're going to talk about spaced practice first. The idea of spaced practice is going to be basically the opposite to cramming. If you have children who have been studying for any quizzes or exams at school, you may find that their pattern of studying tends to be that they kind of put it off until the quiz gets very close and then spend a few hours or more studying for it if that, or maybe they don't, but if they do study, then often that tends to be very, very close to when the quiz or exam is happening. And what that leads to is that they may do okay on that quiz because they just looked over the information very recently, but then once that quiz is over, they forget the information very rapidly. And when they have another quiz that builds on that one or brings back some of the material, like a big exam as well, they have to redo that cramming all over again. And what we're trying to encourage is the opposite of that, which is spacing out studying opportunities for a few days, weeks, or even months before an upcoming quiz or exam. And so the students or the children will get repetition of the information spaced out over time. And what that leads to is better retention of the information in the long run. So if your child's teacher is someone who's trying to implement spaced practice with the kids in their classroom, you're likely to see homework that has a lot of older material in addition to newer material. So in other words, your child might be bringing home assignments that require them to work on material that has been taught maybe a week, maybe two weeks, maybe even a month ago. You're going to see these topics pop up in homework over and over again. 
And this is actually a really good thing. The students do better when they space out the practice with the different, the different topics over time. And so even if you're seeing the same topics crop up over and over and your child is starting to do really well with those topics or seems to have mastered it, that's not a waste of the child's time. That's actually a really good thing in terms of long-term, more durable learning. If, on the other hand, the school that your child goes to isn't implementing this spacing strategy right now, you could still help by doing it at home. This could be done with formal exercises where you get your children to do some additional, you know, maybe math problems. And then what you would do is that you would, instead of do, taking what they're learning right now, you might grab something that they were studying a month ago and see if they can still do similar problems. Now, you might not want to give your child additional homework, so more realistically, you may want to just have a conversation with your children about something that they learned a while back. And so what you're doing by doing that is giving them an opportunity to think about something that they learned previously, again, uh, rather than just forgetting it and moving on to the next topic. So Yana has a few children at home and they range in ages. And so maybe you can explain, Yana, a little bit about how you might approach one of your kids and ask them about some of the material that they've learned previously. Um, so, you know, w what's going on from a month ago? How do you approach that with your child? Yeah, so the way that I would do that is that, you know, sometimes, luckily, my children come home and actually tell me something they've learned at school. And we'll talk about that a little bit in the next strategy, retrieval practice. But sometimes they just voluntarily, you know, start chatting about something that happened at school or something they happen to have learned. One particular episode I remember is when my now almost 15-year-old stepson mentioned how fidget spinners worked. He was really into fidget spinners, but he related it to something he was learning at school. And then now he's no longer into fidget spinners because, you know, he's moved on to the next thing. But I could go back and ask him a question about how fidget spinners work, even though that's not really the topic he's thinking about right now, because this is something he studied in physics now a few months ago in science. And if he can go back and think about it again, maybe this isn't some con a concept that he's practiced for a little while, but thinking about it again now, a few weeks or months later, will help refresh that in his memory. And I think one of the important things to keep in mind is that, you know, as as a parent, we're not necessarily going to know every single thing our child is learning. Some of this stuff, it's been a very long time since we've learned. And so I certainly don't remember everything that there is to know about the French Revolution and, you know, a lot of different topics. But I still can just sort of ask, hey, what did you learn about? Or why don't you tell me about this? How does this stuff that you're learning now relate to the stuff that you were learning before? So, you know, say your child is learning about World War II and you know that they had previously learned about World War I, you might say, oh, well, what are some of the similarities? Just trying to sort of probe at that so that the students, the children, I should say your children, are re-reviewing some of this stuff, even if just a little bit at home, and that can sort of refresh it in their minds. I think a common question that comes up when we suggest something like this is, well, if they're currently learning, let's say, World War II, wouldn't it just confuse them to go back and think about World War I? And our answer to that is that, well, it's important for children to learn to distinguish between concepts and ideas. So if they are learning about, say, World War II, actually a comparison going back to what they learned about World War I last year or last month could be helpful if the differences are made explicit. So as a parent, you know probably the difference between those two. And if your child confuses them, then you can point it out and say, oh, that's actually what you were 
studying a few months ago World War One, and that way they can kind of uh, separate those concepts and ideas in their mind. And actually this concept of jumbling up the different things that you're studying is called interleaving. And that's another one of the strategies that has a lot of evidence from cognitive psychology. And in the laboratory, we can tease apart the differences between spaced practice and interleaving and figure out how they separately affect learning. But in practice, they really go well together and you can benefit from both of them at the same time. So if you do see your children coming home with homework that is sort of all mixed up and you have you know, different topics, things that are being studied maybe now and then things from a month ago and they're just all mixed up on the page, that wasn't necessarily a mistake. The teacher might actually be purposefully jumbling these things up to introduce interleaving and spacing for the children in their homework. This is also helpful if you're helping your child to prepare for an exam that it's, you know, a bigger cumulative exam going back over, let's say, a year or even two years worth of material, which happens in the UK. And in that case, you might want to help your child to develop a schedule of studying that's going to allow them to somewhat interleave or go back and forth between related topics so that they connect them rather than just, you know, focusing on one topic for a really long time and then going to another connected topic, but later. So you might want to study related things together or in sequence to make sure that they um, that the children know the difference between the two. Yeah, and this brings up one final recommendation related to spacing. For kids that are older, so maybe um, high school or um, secondary school, right? Is that what it's called in the UK? <laughs> Very good. So high school, secondary school. Um, it might be really useful for parents to help the children come up with a study schedule and then encourage them to stick to it. So one way that parents can help children implement spacing on their own is to help them create a study schedule where they're blocking off little chunks of time but consistently throughout the week so that they're spacing the studying over time. And so you might help them within their planners to say that they're going to study for specific subjects, uh, maybe three four times a week, but for a briefer period of time than that normal cram session, which might happen for an hour or two the night before an exam. And then helping the kids stick to that particular schedule, even encouraging them or rewarding them when they are successfully following the schedule. So that's going to help them avoid that sort of putting off, putting off until all of a sudden now the exam is tomorrow and they don't have any choice but to cram. In the long run, when you do this, it's both more effective and more efficient. But of course, we understand that as your kids get older, they're also going to be more and more resistant to wanting advice from their parents about how to study. So I'm saying that from personal experience of having an almost 14 year old, uh, 15, almost 15 year old who's now 14. Um, you may want to give very specific advice, like helping them actually create that schedule or if they're getting older and they're less likely to listen to your specific advice, you might even play this podcast for them. Sometimes students and children prefer to hear it from not their parents. Yeah, and the podcast that came out in March of 2018, the set of podcasts was all about how students can utilize these strategies. So same information about these strategies, but geared towards them. So you could have them listen to that if you'd like. Yeah, older high school students might want to take their learning into their own hands and they might benefit from listening to that podcast. And it is quite helpful for them to start taking the learning into their own hands and making that transition as they're looking forward to college or university. 
Okay, so now we're going to turn to retrieval practice. And the idea of retrieval practice is really just to bring information to mind. So again, this can happen by utilizing practice exams or practice tests of some sort, but it doesn't have to be a test or a quiz in order for it to be retrieval practice. Even just having a child write down what they can remember or just tell you what they can remember is retrieval practice. They can get creative with the formats too. They can draw what they know from memory. They can make concept maps or mind maps or some sort of schematic on paper about what they're learning. The key is that they're bringing the information to mind from their memory, so creating it or producing it themselves and then going back and checking to see what they got right and maybe identify areas where they weren't as strong or things that they might have missed. So of course, one easy way to do this is using flashcards and some high school students do enjoy creating flashcards. Now, I think as a parent, what we can do there is try to make sure that they're actually using the flashcards in the way that they're designed to be used in order to produce retrieval practice. Because one thing that I've noticed in my own students and also in my kids is that they use uh, flashcards to just kind of create them and then look at them and look at both sides, but not actually practice retrieval. So in order to get the children practicing retrieval, what you need to make sure is that they're really trying to come up with the response. So the answer that's on the other side of the card before checking it. And even one way you can make sure they're doing that is have them go through an entire stack of flashcards, let's say, English Spanish vocabulary and not check on each flashcard whether they thought of the correct response. Instead, just say out loud or write down the response without looking. And then after they go through an entire stack, only then to check whether they got it right. So you could do this if you're practicing with them together. So you could ask them a question, note down whether they got it correct or not, maybe put it in a different pile, and then later on go through the, especially the incorrect responses, rather than giving them the immediate feedback. Because sometimes um, having the delayed feedback can actually be more helpful because thinking back to spacing, it gives an additional opportunity for children to experience that information a little bit later than the previous time. And it's important to remember too that when you're going through the flashcards, whether you're having the children do it themselves or maybe you're going through with them or quizzing them before a test, that is a learning opportunity. It's not just a check. So certainly going through practice questions or sort of quizzing your child is giving you and your child information about what they know pretty well and what they maybe don't know as well, but it's also a learning opportunity. And if the if your child is struggling a little bit to try to recall the information, that's okay. It, it's not necessarily a bad thing. They're working their way up to being able to recall as much as they can remember. And through that process, they're learning and they're getting better. The difficulty and struggling, struggling a little bit is a good thing. We call this desirable difficulties. This brings up a really important point in my mind, which is reframing how children and parents think about these quizzes that the teachers give students throughout the year. So I think we have a sense that instinctively that oh these quizzes are supposed to check how much the student has learned just like Megan said but really if we understand the science behind how retrieval practice works these quizzes whether the children or teachers know it or not are actually producing more learning as long as they're not too stressful or high stakes so what would be really wonderful is if we as parents could talk to our kids about quizzes as being a learning opportunity now from a personal anecdote perspective my daughter who's five for some 
unknown reason, very uh, worryingly to me, has been scared of tests. So at one point I was taking her to a new um, French after school and she thought she was going to be tested on her language abilities, which was, you know, couldn't be further from the truth. And this is despite me talking a lot about the value of retrieval practice. So for whatever reason, whether they see it on, you know, TV or something, there's this idea that tests can be scary. And I think we as parents just need to reinforce the idea that actually they're not evaluating you. They're just an opportunity for learning. And so if your child is telling you that they're consistently taking a lot of quizzes or tests in school, maybe they're they're doing frequent quizzing or frequent testing even every day, that might be a sign that your child's teacher is actually in tune with the research on retrieval practice and is trying to help the students learn. They're not just necessarily evaluating them constantly. And of course, it does give the teacher information about what the students know and don't know, and that allows the teacher to sort of refocus some of the time and make sure that they're recovering some of the things that the students were struggling with across the board. But it's also a learning opportunity. It's not taking away from the student's learning time to do evaluation. It's actually learning in itself. And this is something that we highly recommend that teachers do. And so if you hear about this, or maybe if your child is like Yana said, a little bit scared or anxious about the tests and the quizzes, especially if they're frequent, you can remind the child that they are just practice and it's just a learning opportunity. And when we make mistakes, that's okay. We want to try to make adjustments and figure out what we can do better next time and really just keep getting better. They're not supposed to get a 100% score on every single quiz or test that they take. That would actually be a sign that the material is a little bit too easy and maybe they're not being challenged or benefiting enough from retrieval practice. We've talked about these formal quizzes or tests or using flashcards, but there are also very informal ways that you can help your children practice retrieval. And we mentioned this, we alluded to it during the spacing part of the episode. So just having a conversation with your child about what they learned at school is retrieval practice. They're not gonna be opening their notes and books right away when you ask them the question, what did you learn today? So they're, you know, by default, going to be using their memory to bring up the information that they learned at school and telling you about it. Now, I know that from personal experience, children don't tend to just volunteer information about what they learned. And I've been seeing floating around on the internet, this is not science, but just a meme, a list of questions that you could ask your child instead of saying, what did you do at school today? And I've actually tried some of those and I found it very, very helpful, at least with my five-year-old, because she does end up telling me what she learned, but she just doesn't realize that that's what I'm asking her. So I might ask her, what was the most interesting thing that happened at school today? Or what was something that made you happy? Or what did you do, you know, um, for one of your friends or whatever? And then as part of her story, she'll say, well, we were learning about, you know, gravity and then, you know, this thing happened, right? So it will happen spontaneously. And you might say, oh, what was, what is gravity? Tell me a little bit more about that. And you don't necessarily, as the parent, need to know everything that there is to know about that particular topic in order for the child to give you some information. And even if their recall of the information isn't fully complete, or even if they seem a little bit confused about something, that's okay, they're still learning. And if it seems like there is a gap or something that they're not quite grasping and they think that they should, that might be a place where you could ask their teacher about it or sort of do a check-in to make sure that everything's going okay at school. 
So in this podcast, we've been talking about some ways that parents can help leverage some of the effective learning strategies to help their children study and learn at home or ways that they might recognize when the teachers at the school their children attend are utilizing these strategies. We talked specifically about spaced practice and retrieval practice, really because these two are the ones that have the most evidence and are probably the easiest in terms of um, parents trying to leverage them at home. We also talked a little bit about interleaving or this idea of jumbling up the topics to implement both space practice and also so that children can tell the difference between two ideas that they might need to discriminate later on. And you can find lots more information on these strategies and how you as parents can specifically use them on our blog at www.learningscientists.org. We'll also link to some relevant blog posts in the podcast show notes. And if you are a parent of a child who's a little bit older and is doing some independent studying, you might consider checking out the downloadable materials on our website. Those can might help your child um, figure out how they can study at home. Thank you for listening. Bye. The Learning Scientist podcast is funded by The Wellcome Trust.